Hello, powerful people. Welcome back to the Power at Work blog. We have another very interesting, and I think uh, you'll find valuable blogcast today. Uh, this one about an innovative and interesting childcare program in New York State that I want you to know about. Um, my name is Seth Harris. Oh, I didn't introduce myself. My name is Seth Harris. I'm a senior fellow at the Burns Center for Social Change at Northeastern University, and I guess I'm your host today, as every day, um, and uh, really glad to be able to host you for this important blogcast about a critically important issue for union members, for non-union workers, uh, and for our economy. Uh, you know, one of the biggest barriers for working parents uh, is uh, childcare, good quality, safe affordable childcare, most importantly, affordable. Um, you know, we have both a supply problem uh, and a demand excess in childcare in the United States. And the consequence of that is that folks scramble uh, and they have to patch together, uh, you know, grandma one day and a neighbor another day and school if they're school age kids. And if they're not school age kids trying to find an in-home or an agency, uh, child care provider, and it's expensive. It can be extremely expensive. You're going to hear us talk about it uh, during this broadcast. So this is a critically important issue. Uh, it's especially a barrier for working women. Um, and uh, so I really want you to learn about this program. I'll be blunt that one, and you'll hear me say this during the broadcast, um, that one of the reasons that we wanted to present this broadcast to you about a very interesting and innovative New York State childcare uh, funding program is that we're hoping that the labor movement in other states will adopt this program, will get their legislatures uh, and their governors to adopt this program. It can be immensely helpful. A lot of childcare block grant money gets unspent because it's just not uh, getting out to the right people in the right way. Uh, and this program can be a solution to that problem. So we're really proud to be able to, to offer it to you. Our guests are fantastic, and you're 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 going to be very favorably impressed. Uh, one of our guests, our first guest, is State Senator Jessica Ramos. She represents the 13th Senate District uh, in New York in Queens. Historia Queens uh, is uh, her home, and also where she grew up. Uh, she's the chair of the uh, New York State Senate's Labor Committee and a very important leader on all things labor uh, in the state. You heard her referenced in an earlier broadcast where we talked about farm workers getting organizing rights uh, in New York State. But she has a long history in the labor movement. She worked with Build Up New York City, helping uh, construction building and hotel maintenance workers to gain their rights and their access to a union. She worked with SSEU Local 371 and 32BJ Local uh, uh, of SEIU, which is building services workers all throughout New York City. Uh, and, and let me say 32BJ is all over the East Coast now. Um, so, uh, Jessica Ramos, a very, very important voice. You're going to be, at one point, I sort of sort of involuntarily just said, boy, are you in the right business? Because she is a very powerful advocate and you will hear her uh, uh, in just a few minutes. And then our friend, Debbie King. Debbie King is an OG of the childcare world. Uh, she was involved in helping to bargain when she was in local 1199 with the League of Voluntary Hospitals for childcare for their members um, and has been involved in this issue for a very, 
very long, I, I would guess about five decades. She's now at the National Domestic Workers Alliance. Um, she's been a national proponent for better jobs uh, for workers as a way to achieve better quality health care, better quality lives. Um, and she's brought a lot of money to a lot of projects, and you're going to hear how she helped to innovate this very interesting way of bringing uh, child care to unionized workers in New York State and also the effect that it has on the labor movement. Uh, she's very eloquent about that. Um, so you're going to hear that broadcast in a minute. Now, let me just, I want to address a little bit of labor news that's happened uh, recently, a lot of labor news that's happened recently. Uh, the Writers Guild of America has a tentative agreement, uh, hopefully a, a soon to be a, a final agreement with the Hollywood studios, which is an extremely good thing. It's a good thing because the writers essentially got everything they wanted or just about everything that they wanted. They got uh, better staffing levels. They got protections against AI, uh, artificial intelligence, taking away or undermining their jobs. They got a bigger volume of the residuals that will come out of streaming, meaning the payments, the share of the payments that come out of uh, their work being shown on streaming services. Uh, it was really uh, a, a, you know, strikes are never a good thing, except when you win. And here they won. Uh, it was a, a, a 140 some odd day strike, almost 150 days, uh, close to one of the longest in the history of the Writers Guild. But it was a huge success. And the solidarity of the writers and the pressure that they brought to bear on anyone who wanted to start up, say, a talk show or a comedy show, uh, regardless of who produced it, um, uh, was very effective. Uh, they did a really, really good job hold, literally holding the line, holding the picket line, um, and were very creative in that regard. Their leadership, once the tentative agreement was announced, said to their members, don't go back to work, although they subsequently have said the strike is over. Now you can go back to work. But what they originally said was, don't go back to work. Get on the picket line with the actors. Because SAG-AFTRA is still out on strike. They've been out on strike since July. There have not been any negotiations for quite some time between the actors and the Hollywood studios. I expect those are going to start fairly soon because the studios are desperate, desperate to get back to work. They're losing gigantic sums of money by failing to uh, manage their labor relations properly and failing in these negotiations and dealing with both the writers and the actors. So let's hope that the that SAG-AFTRA is able to get a, a great deal like the writers were able to get. The UAW strike against the big three automakers is still going on as of this airing. Uh, I'm recording this on Wednesday, uh, September 27th in the morning. So as of right now, the strike is still going on. I'm hopeful that there's going to be progress, at least with one of the auto companies, probably Ford Motor Company, um, uh, sometime soon. General Motors and Stellantis, it uh, doesn't look like they're moving in the right direction or moving as far as they need to in the right direction. And then a third piece of news, and that is that 60,000 members of the Culinary Workers and the Bartenders Union in Las Vegas, Nevada, have voted overwhelmingly, 95%, to authorize their leaders to uh, call a strike. Uh, and that's going to put immense pressure on the hotel casinos in, um, uh, in Las Vegas. 
Uh, it's going to make it very, very difficult, maybe impossible for them to operate. You can't replace 60,000 dealers and, and wait staff and uh, 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 cleaning crews and bartenders and, and others uh, in these hotels uh, easily. Um, so I think that that strike threat should hopefully drive the, the hotels to come to the bargaining table and to move in the direction of the union. Um, they, they have threatened to strike before, but have not had to strike because they've been able to cut a deal. My hope is that they're going to be able to cut a deal again soon. This year has been really a remarkable year when it comes to strikes. I haven't done the math, but just looking at the numbers of folks who have gone out on strike this year, ranging from graduate student workers to uh, uh, you know, the folks in Hollywood, nurses around the country are striking. Lots of others are striking. Many people you've never heard of who are not being covered in the press out on strike or out on short work stoppages, collective actions in order to improve the quality of their lives and to get their employers to, to address the issues that they're worried about. Um, this rising level of activism you think could scare off some workers from joining unions. We're not seeing evidence of that at all. Organizing activity also extremely high. Uh, union growth seemingly also going very, very well this year. We'll have to see what the numbers are when our friends at the Bureau of Labor Statistics issue their report in January. One final piece of news that's directly relevant to this broadcast and that is that the graduate student workers at Northeastern University, our home institution, voted overwhelmingly to be represented by the graduate employees of Northeastern University, UAW. GNU UAW is the name of their union. They now have a union. They only won with 94% of the vote. 94% of the vote. Uh, I know I mentioned that in the last blogcast, but I wanted to mention it to you in case you didn't watch the last blogcast. Uh, and let me just say one other thing. Uh, so that's the labor news. Let me say one other thing about these blogcasts. We're so happy to have you on the blog watching this blogcast, if that's what you're doing. You can also listen to it on the blog. But, you know, if you're in your car or going for a walk or a run or you're on your you know stationary bike, I don't do it on my real bike when I'm out on the road. I don't think it's safe. But if you're listening to us and on the move, you can download these podcasts from every commercial podcast provider, Spotify, Google, Apple. They all have it. Just search Power at Work and you can download these podcasts and take them with you. Many, many, many hundreds of you have already done that. But I want to encourage anyone else who hasn't done that to go ahead and, you know, if you're a podcast listener, that's a really good way to listen to this content. Let me just say, as, as appealing as it is to look at this face on television, not on television, on your computer screen, uh, maybe on television too. I've been on television a little bit lately. And also to look at our guests and see their expressions and how they're interacting. You know, you can also listen to us and, and listen for the nuances in people's voices. So I encourage you, download our podcasts. Uh, and that's another way to access this content. We did four fantastic Labor Day blogcasts. Um, we interviewed 
General Counsel Jennifer Abruzzo of the National Labor Relations Board, President Liz Schuler of the AFL-CIO, President Randy Weingarten of the American Federation of Teachers, President Brent Booker of the Laborers International Union of North America. All of those, all of those are available in podcast as well as blogcast here on the blog. Uh, let me just say one other thing. This blogcast that you're going to watch was recorded back at the end of August. We've been holding it so it wouldn't get caught up and lost in the Labor Day crush of business that we have. But we, we wanted to save it so that you would really be able to focus on this important issue of child care in our discussion with Senator Jessica Ramos and Debbie King. I hope you enjoy it. Enjoy. Well, so let me start by thanking both of you uh, for being with us today and and talking about this very important issue of of childcare. And uh, Senator, I, I thought I would start with you uh, because you know it's political season. It's always political season, but it's certainly political season now. Uh, actually, we're recording this on the day of the first Republican presidential debate, so I guess it's it's the center of the uh, political season now. But You've heard as well as I have that politicians always like to try to say about an issue that this issue is personal to me, right? We hear that phrase all the time, whatever the issue is, you know, climate change or whatever it might be. But childcare really is a personal issue for you. So would you tell our viewers a little bit about your family situation and, and how it informed your work on the childcare uh, issue that we're going to be talking about today? Thanks, Seth. Um, so I, uh, aside from being state senator, perhaps my most important title is mom. And I have two young boys who are 10 and 12. Um, and well, we are uh, really figuring out every year how it is that we're going to provide childcare for them. I'm a single mom and I, of course, legislate in Albany six months out of the year. Um, which means that it takes a village to help me raise my children. And I'm very thankful to my village for doing so. But not everybody has a village. And that's especially true here in New York, where there are so many workers and, of course, immigrants who don't necessarily have that network to count on. And quite frankly, it's about time that we actually formalize our child care system here in New York State. Um, I wish we could depend on the federal government, of course, to enact uh, a national program that guarantees a safe place for every single child, no matter who they are or where they come from. Um, but here in New York, we're known to lead on these issues, and this one's no exception. Um, here in New York, um, the state with the highest union density in the entire country, uh, we are taking matters into our own hands and ensuring that we are prioritizing funding to make childcare not only more affordable and accessible, but uh, for it to be a robust program that actually cares about child rearing and that keeps our children safe. And I know that we're going to talk a lot more about that. So I thank you for the opportunity. We are indeed. Thanks very much. And Debbie, uh, this is also a personal issue for you, uh, not merely as a mom, but also as a trade unionist. Just let's keep it at sort of a high level, just talking about child care in general terms. Talk a little bit about what childcare means for for younger workers, for for women workers, and particularly for single moms. It's absolutely essential. The whole question about how you can work 
Uh, but it's also essential for people doing quality work because how can you concentrate on your job? Again, I come from Healthcare Workers Union. How can you concentrate on caring for others when you don't know if your own children are safe and are being cared for? And one of the things is that the cost of childcare has just been going through the roof. And when you look at quality childcare costing $20,000 a year, mm. um, Many, many, many working people are only making a little bit more than that themselves. How can they possibly pay for it? You know, we did a little pilot program with the city council a number of years ago, and we ended up, we, uh, because of city fiscal problems in 2008, having to abandon the program. And 1199 child um, home care workers were absolutely crying, literally crying, saying, this program is going to end. What are we going to do? It's essential. You know, uh, a lot of people uh, sort of patch together. Uh, you know, Senator Ramos said it in a very nice way, which is uh, it takes a village to raise kids. But it, it, it often ends up with parents sort of scrambling to patch together a solution here, a solution there. You have an emergency. You call grandma. You call the neighbor. You call a friend. You find an emergency uh, home situation, whatever you can do. So, so uh, in New York State, the labor movement and the state government have come up with a solution. And I want to start where so many solutions begin, and that's with the money. Um, because childcare without money is parents, really. Uh, so uh, let's talk first, uh, uh, Senator, about how the money works. Now, as I, as I understand it, and I want you to correct me if I get this wrong, the federal government provides New York State with about $2 billion a year in a childcare block grant, and then New York State gets to determine how that money is going to be spent to provide childcare. Um, but my understanding is that New York State was not spending all of the money it was it was getting. Why not spend free federal money on something as urgent as childcare? Well, I would love to ask that question of many different <laughs> pots of money that the state receives from the federal government, um, even when it comes to climate infrastructure. Um, but I'm sure that's another program for a different time. We'll have you back. Um, we, we'll have you back to talk about that. That's a, that's a fun conversation too. But here, you know, it, it really is um, an issue that I've thought for a long time should be a bipartisan issue, actually. Um, not only because, of course, all parties have parents, um, but it's incumbent on all of us to not only keep our children safe, but actually make it possible for our economy to flourish, for us to keep people working. Right, and to keep our productivity rates, which are already historically through the roof, um, up. So, I, to me, this is about um, addressing a few issues. Like I mentioned before, it's about giving these children a nurturing environment where they're able to grow up with uh, childcare workers who have been trained and certified to do so. And this allows us to hopefully reduce the baby word gap. Many children uh, who come from households uh, where there is less income tend to hear fewer words read to them as babies. And this actually impacts their brain development and certainly their reading capabilities as they be begin to grow into toddlers. Um, the other thing is, of course, uh, having childcare workers who are trained to detect any learning disabilities and being able to catch 
any hindrances to growth as early on as possible. Unfortunately, we live in an economy, especially here in New York, where many workers have two, three part-time jobs and a side hustle. So if we if we want our families to spend, uh, our parents to spend more time with their families, that certainly has to mean that the parents have peace of mind of where they're leaving their children. Now, I often call my Early Learning Act um, a three, a, a triple workforce bill. And that's because first and foremost, we know that childcare workers are historically left out of many labor protections because of the vestiges of Jim, of the Jim Crow era that we think are, are, you know, uh, history, but are quite present, unfortunately. And it's, that's especially, uh, pertains to the feminization of poverty and the jobs that are done by women, uh, particularly in caregiving and domestic work. We want to make sure that we're keeping a wage floor at a living wage for these workers so that they can provide for the fam for their own families. Um, that's their right. Then of course, it's about helping parents get back to work. That's the obvious one. But the third group of people impacted, of course, are the children. Children are only 20, 25 years away from working, uh, entering the workforce. And we of course are, are, are keen to investing in these children as, as early on as possible for public safety, for academic excellence, um, and certainly for building a future that we that we all deserve. So there's there's a lot to be done. In this past budget, New York State allocated on its own $7.4 million to add to the money that is already given to the facilitated enrollment program that um, our labor movement operates. And really that's what's become the model of the ideal childcare system in New York State. So instead of inventing a different universal childcare program, this is kind of one of those situations where I don't, I don't think we need to reinvent the wheel. We need to take the program that works and fund it as well as possible so that it can continue to serve the children it's been serving, but actually also help the children who are arriving and are our newest New Yorkers and are going to lead us into the future. Very good. Sorry, and I promise I we're going to talk. I have to say, Seth, how lucky people in New York are to have Senator Ramos. I mean, the New York Union Child Care Coalition has been working on this issue for almost 25 years. And Really, we've gotten some support, but it wasn't until we had the dynamic leadership of Senator Ramos that Thank you. what we've been trying, our, our words and the needs that we have are actually being articulated into yeah. public policy. And you know, we, we, that, we have been saying that facilitating enrollment is a model. And um, we've been, you know, we got over $300 million over the last years for working people to pay for childcare, but it's still a drop in the bucket with what the needs are and all of the things that Senator Ramos is saying about why are so true. And right. um, well, I want to I talk about facilitated enrollment in just a second, but I want to, I want to do one more little setup for, and then I'm going to get you into a, a discussion of uh, the facilitated enrollment program. So as, uh, uh, as you've described it to me, Debbie, the childcare funding is available to families up to 300% of the poverty line, which just to put it in real numbers for, for folks who 
don't monitor the poverty line at home. Um, that's about $50,000 for a family of two, $70,000 for a family of three, and $90,000 for a family of four. Those are the families that are available up to that income level that are eligible to apply for childcare support uh, from this program. So it's a lot of middle income people. Actually, in, for people who live in New York City, that's, that's maybe not quite middle income. It might be a little bit, a little bit below that, but also a lot of union members, uh, earn in that space. But, but union members prior to facilitated enrollment were not getting enrolled in the program. Talk a little bit about why it is, Debbie, that, 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 there were barriers to folks enrolling in a program that would give them the funding they needed for childcare. Well, let me just say that the program until this year, the statewide program limited uh, eligibility to 200% of poverty. So very low income people, but there was a pot, a special pot that we were able to achieve up to 300% of poverty that was administered by the labor movement. But it was just a small pot of money. Right. This year, income eligibility has been raised to 300% for everyone in New York State. So Very good. that, yes, yeah, so, and then the, also the pot, rather than being a specific pot, is now open to the full amount of money. So in terms of working people, and there is a lot of money, there's $2 billion. And uh, I've been talking to people for example, in New York City, I think you probably know this, Senator, but there's a billion dollars in New York City and only 25% of that for this year, of this year's budget has been used. So there's a so that's, what I, that's what I want you to get about, to, Debbie. You're talking about that, millions of dollars and a tremendous need. So that's what I want to, that's what I want to get to is uh, in order for folks to understand why this facilitated enrollment program is so important, and this is something that a lot of people who haven't been in government or haven't worked closely with government don't understand is even if you pass a bill, even if you appropriate money, even if there's a pot of money, that doesn't mean that the money is going to get to the people who need it. So in this context, help us to understand, help us to understand why the money was not getting to the people who needed childcare funding. Uh, prior to facilitating enrollment, what were the barriers there? Well, and one thing was it wasn't that much money, but the main thing was that pe working people didn't know about it and that to actually apply is a little complicated. In order to apply, for example, in New York City and elsewhere in the state, you had to take a day off from work, go to the social service agency. The application was not very easy. And then often you had to go back a second time or a third time. So working people could not afford to lose pay. Their employers were not allowing them to take off time. And basically the word around working people is this money is not for us. So what the labor movement did was to outreach to workers and say, there is a pot for you and we will help. That's why the program is called facilitate enrollment. We will facilitate the enrollment. We will help you with the application then the staff works with the people at the social service agency to say, let's expedite this and let's not have somebody wait for three months or four months, but they actually negotiate with the social service agency to streamline the process so that the application just takes three or four weeks. So it's really like having a shop steward 
helping you with the social service agency, uh, both in terms of what your rights are and, and actually making it happen. And it's been very, very successful. We even uh, passed a bill uh, of mine last year in order to have families only apply every two years um, in order to, uh, you know, get that off their plate and not have to worry about that each and every year, which should facilitate payment for our caregivers as well. Yeah. Right. I, well, thank you for adding that that important fact. And I, I you know, that this is one of the one of the little understood issues in government uh, generally, and particularly with respect to programs like this. Um, systems that seem like they are set up to help people actually can be extraordinarily difficult to navigate. So, having a program like facilitated enrollment where you essentially have either a shop steward type or a navigator or just a helper who can run things down for you, who has relationships with the agency, who learns how to speak the, the particular language of the agency in figuring out how to enroll. It's so critically important and, and what a perfect role for the labor movement to play because it's what the labor movement does, right? Advocating for people, helping them to sort out relationships with bureaucracies, that is really a great place for the labor movement to intervene. So, so Senator, let me say one thing is that it's really the application, it's about the eligibility of the family and the child, but it's also about the caregiver. And many people need help in being able to explain who their caregiver is and why mm. the caregiver qualifies for reimbursement. So that's another very important area that workers Ex want to able. But, but explain that a little bit. What do you mean by that? It, it, it is helping to understand who the caregiver well, is. Can, explain can that. It, can it be a member of your immediate family? Not can it be another relative? Uh, do they have to be a documented worker? Do they have to have a social security number? Do they have to be working for a child care center? All those kinds of questions, have someone be able to explain that, but also be able to say to people, these are also alternatives. We don't want to separate your child from the caregiver, but if that this program is not going to work, these are other very good sources of quality childcare for you. Yeah. So it is really having an advisor on this very key, a facilitator and an advisor. Senator, you wanted to jump in. Go ahead. Well, you know, I, I, I just, I, I think that it's also a great way to expose other workers to the labor movement and to and to actually teach our children about mm -hmm. the labor movement and the role that unions play in protecting parents and making sure that there's food on the table. Um, and hopefully, you know, they're they're the future organizers of tomorrow. Um, but what we're trying to do, what we're trying to do quite unabashedly and and unapologetically is grow the labor movement. And this is just one of the many ways that our movement should be supporting the uh, over, overall uh, overarching workforce 
um, at, a, at such a critical time when we're trying to shift the scales of our economy um, because income inequality in New York is, is, is just so, so great that we have hundreds, uh, you know, a, 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 well, now with the asylum seekers, a few hundred thousand families uh, without a home, um, without mm-hmm. having uh, a safe place to drop off their children so that they can go to the doctor, so that they can go to a job interview. I mean, here in New York City right now, we're experiencing um, a lot of children selling candy on the subways as vendors mm-hmm. themselves. And and this is coming at a time when other states across the country are trying to circumvent child labor laws. So, you know, this is about protecting New York's children, making sure that they remain children, that they don't have adult responsibilities, that there is a responsible adult who is trained and certified and available to take care of them. And, And which is why, especially in the age of artificial intelligence, might I say, right, this is a big topic that we're all talking about. We should be able to go on an app and find a trusted caregiver uh, quite easily on our phone in the same way we make a reservation for a restaurant. If some, heaven forbid something happens and I need to drop off my boys tonight, I should know that there might be three people in, you know, within a five block radius from mm-hmm. my apartment that, that are gonna be available tonight should an emergency arise. We, we are far behind where we should be. And of course, it's always the labor movement who is leading the vanguard on, 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 on labor protections, which childcare is. Um, but it's going to take a lot more funding, frankly, not only to operate facilitated enrollment, but to build out a network of care centers um, that can really address uh, the different needs of workers. Because for example, construction workers, they have a hard time dropping off their kids in the morning. They have to be at a construction site at five, six o'clock in the morning. School doesn't start until 8 a.m. Who helps them in the morning? Or how about the workers who are maybe paving, uh, you know, the Grand Central Parkway um, at night and they're doing this work at night? Who's watching their little ones while they sleep? These are all questions that we have been procrastinating about way too long for way too long. And as a government, we have a very serious responsibility to address these issues for our neighbors. So this is just the start. Um, I'm very excited about where we've gotten to, but we cannot rest until every single child in New York has free and accessible child care to them. Well, so I, I want to pick up on that. Let me just say, yeah, Debbie's very excited. She's right to be excited. Good for you. I think, can I just say, I think, Senator, you're in the right business. You're absolutely in the right business. Thank you. Public, public policy and politics. Good for you. Um, so let me, I, 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 I want to get back to the money because both of you have mentioned, in fact, Senator, you just mentioned it. Childcare is incredibly expensive um, for good reason, right? Because you need good quality early childhood educators who can provide this care. They often, as the Senator was just describing, have to do it in off hours. They often have to do it for extended periods. They sometimes have to do it in emergency settings. You want to have people who you can trust, people who have healthy uh, physical environments in which the children are going to be located. It co- All of it costs money. So, Senator, how much money can an individual family get from this program? And, and also, I want you to put it in personal terms. What does it mean for the families to get that money? Well, to be honest, Seth, when I was finally able to find uh, affordable childcare, 
it freed up a solid nearly 20 grand a year. It meant that I could actually consider taking my kids on vacation, um, you know, be able to kind of catch up on other things that I had, you know, kind of left to the side to take care of for some time. Um, never mind the stress off my shoulders, right? And 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 if I may t tell you a little bit about what my my actual bill does, it's called the Early Learning Child Care Act, and it's it's based on the universal pre-K model that I was very fortunate to help put together. Prior to being senator, I was a member of the De Blasio mayoral administration here in New York City, and 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 had the honor of serving um, on that team that put universal pre-K together. So my bill actually largely mirrors what we already know works a plan to build out a system that includes student loan forgiveness for our child caregivers by the way and provides for um high quality free child care for every child if i use that formula the, from that we that we used in my bill the cost of annual child care in New York State would be around 18 to 20 billion dollars. Um, and quite frankly, it still pales in comparison if you start thinking about um, parents in New York City, particularly spending up to $20,000 a year on child care. We can do this much more efficiently if we work with the experts, with the caregivers who know what they're doing, and we can support them even entrepreneurially to have their own centers, uh, whether it be at home or at a location um, that is certified and routinely inspected by the state government. Um, and then, of course, ensuring that these caregivers are being paid living wages. This is all, these are all the thoughts that we've been uh, pushing for. I'm very happy. We actually, when I came to office in 2019, we were at 200% of the federal, federal poverty line in child care coverage. We are now going up to 400%, which means households that make around Seventy to eighty thousand dollars a year. So definitely the folks who need it most. But we need to get it higher. We need to get it to at least five hundred percent. That would cover ninety three percent of New York's children, leaving out the seven percent most affluent. And look, I'm a big believer in universal child care, and I know that we'll get there that someday. And I'm sure that the rich will advocate for themselves as they always do. I am most I am most, uh, I, I am most, uh, you know, focused on um, the other 93%. Um, and those are the kids that, that we really need to help and, and, and put them on the path to good economic opportunity. So uh, I, I, I couldn't agree with that more. Is that the bill that you're describing, that is a bill for the future? Or is, uh, or is that already, or is what you're describing already in place in New York State? Seth, this is a bill that I introduced my freshman year in the Senate. Um, so I've been carrying it now for five years. And, you know, I'll, I'll admit on this podcast that it's a bill that is largely used as leverage during budget negotiation season, which here in New York State is largely the month of March. That's our busy season because in New York State, our state budget, as everybody knows, is due April 1st. Um, so I, I largely use it to put pressure on um, the powers that be to do the right thing. And I, I have to say it's been working, right? We got up to 400% slowly but surely, but we have a long way to go.
No. Uh, so, Debbie, uh, let me bring this back to you. I, I want to talk about, in particular, the labor movement's role um, and also a little bit of history, right? Because you were in this from the beginning. You have a history with getting child care into collective bargaining agreements. Um, I don't want to shock either one of you, but the labor movement for a long time has been led primarily by older men. Um, and let's suggest the possibility that perhaps for that demographic group, childcare has not always been the very top priority. So let's talk, Debbie, a little bit about how you went from negotiating childcare in collective bargaining agreements to getting the labor movement to being a critical intermediary between parents who need childcare funding and the state that has childcare funding. Tell us about how that happened. Tell us that history, uh, if you would. Well, well, let me say that um, I don't think that we we're there yet. I certainly don't think that uh, every union fact show that ha has not, for example, negotiated childcare funds. Um, and one of the things that was very interesting is uh, one of the second unions in New York City that negotiated a child care fund was the TWU. And the person that's who was the on- for, for the non-New Yorkers, that's, that's the Transport, Transport Workers, workers Union. union. And, and in New York had, City, they represent the subway workers. I'm sorry, right. go ahead. Yeah, and we, we had a committee of people from 10 or 12 unions that were trying to advocate for child care. And the representative from TWU was a person whose wife had passed away and he was the primary caregiver of his mm. family. And then another union that negotiated a child care fund was also in, was ATU, was Malcolmated Transport, and their representative on the committee was also a person whose wife had passed away, and he was the primary caregiver. So I think when people experience that responsibility, as Jessica was talking about, of caring, but also taking care of working and caring, they understand this. Um, and we have made progress, as a matter of fact, in the last year, uh, DC 37 of AFSME negotiated a child care fund first time. Again, um, for the non-New non Yorkers, <laughs> District Council 37 of AFSCME represents something like 140,000 New York City employees. It's one of the largest district councils in, you know, particularly in the public sector in the United States. Sorry, I feel like I'm doing... Right. I'm doing a little bit of translating just for people who are not familiar with the, the lexicon of New York City labor. So go the ahead. New, I'm sorry, yeah, Debbie. The New York State Nurses Association with the public hospital system negotiated a chocolate fund. We helped them. Um, the hotel workers uh, outside of New York, but have now uh, negotiated a childcare fund for 9,000 workers and now are looking at for the whole hotel industry in New York, negotiating a childcare fund. So we do see the labor movement coming forth to understand this issue uh, and how important it is. But I think that, you know, there've been two issues. One has been the question of uh, how expensive healthcare costs are and getting a new benefit. But another issue, which I think the Senator is referring to is a lot of the activists in unions are older workers who um, are more concerned with issues like their pension or other issues than newer workers. But for the labor movement, the idea about having newer workers see the benefit of being in a union in terms of strengthening the movement, making the movement what it could be. So childcare, I think, is 
very important for all of the reasons that we've been talking about, but it's also very important. By the way, I think it's younger men workers too, because men are getting more of a role in childcare. So can they see the labor movement as a vehicle? And can they see the labor movement as both working with employers? Because I think employers should be paying for this. And I know the senator had some idea about taxing employers, but I think that employers through collective bargaining could be paying, and then we can have a government program that pays. And both of those are things that the labor movement should be, should be involved in. And I think we're getting there. It's taken us 20 or 25 years, but I think it's also the outside objective situation with the cost. You know, um, one of the things with the new legislation is the reimbursement will be $15,000 per child. It used wow. to be 7,500. Well, to get a benefit of $15,000 a year through the state initiative and a union representative, that is fantastic in terms of the impact on the family, but also the impact of oh, my union is making a difference. I should be more active in my union and support my union in a stronger way. You know? Right. I, I, right. I, I think that's a powerful argument. And I want to, uh, uh, as we're coming to uh, close, you've been very generous with your time. I want to give you both a chance uh, uh, to make a pitch. Uh, I want to be absolutely uh, transparent about this. One of the reasons that we wanted to have uh, the two of you on to talk about this issue is we want to encourage organized labor in other states to take a look at this program and perhaps put it in place in their states, working with progressive pro-labor legislators like Senator Ramos. And um, so I want to give, I've, I've got two of the best salespeople for the facilitated enrollment program that I could possibly lay my hands on. So here's your chance. If you had the opportunity to talk to and maybe you are doing that in this podcast. Talk to the labor movement of California, Minnesota, Illinois, Colorado. Yes, Georgia. Yes, uh, Arizona. Some of the other states where the childcare need is just as great. It may be that the childcare supply is not as great. And so finding childcare is even more difficult. What would you say? And let me start with you, Senator Ramos. What would you say? to the labor movement in those states that this is the program that they should be advocating for in their state legislature? I, I think the biggest question is always, well, how are we gonna pay for it, right? And Debbie's right. What, what, what I'm actually proposing is that we tax the biggest businesses. In fact, the top 5% of big businesses in New York state that happens to be uh, businesses whose payroll is around $250 million a year. So we're, we're talking about largely Goldman Sachs and a lot of the Wall Street big firms here in New York in particular. But really, if you think about it philosophically, whatever the main industry in your state might be, it's their responsibility to be uh, helpful in providing for, uh, the best possible environment for their workers and therefore their children. So, you know, asking them to just pay even half of a percent, one percent every year is nothing to them and everything to these families that make their wealth possible. And if you start thinking about what worker shortages we have in different industries right now, 
So here in New York, I know that our public sector at both the city and state level, they're having a lot of trouble attracting and retaining talent. Well, if childcare is provided, that is a very big incentive to any parent to sign up for a job. So I, I think that when we talk about corporate responsibility many times uh you know in in a more capitalistic setting we we it would it's incumbent on us to ensure that we're having these conversations about what role big companies should play in our everyday so that we can have the systems that will allow for productivity to continue to rise but also that we're keeping people safe so that they can be going to work let me just say, just in terms of the labor movement, I think, you know, these programs, both upstate and in New York City, are run through the AFL-CIO. I mean, I think a fantastic thing would be for us to offer people from other states the opportunity of us explaining to them what we have in New York State and how it could provide technical assistance, which uh, I think there are many people very passionate who've been working on this for years, who would be very happy to talk to both the AFL-CIO, but also individual unions that maybe are their, their same union, but in a different state about how we've done it. And I think that could also be the basis of a stronger voice in the labor movement nationally if we started to create that type of network that you're talking about to get more funding for childcare. So um, I know I don't think I'm just speaking for myself. We would love the opportunity to talk to trade unionists who are interested in both working with employers and working politically to address this important issue and making the labor movement stronger by getting new and younger workers involved in our movement. Great. And and let me just say at the Power at Work blog, we are happy to spread the word about that offer that you just made. We're going to get it out as widely as we possibly can. I want to thank both of you for a fantastic discussion about a really important topic. Thanks for taking the time. I hope you enjoyed learning about New York's facilitated employment child care program. We think it's really worth thinking about and uh, eager to see it spread around the country. Um, if you're not already subscribed to the Power at Work blog, I want to strongly encourage you to do that. Go to the blog, go to the subscription down at the bottom of the front page. Give us your name, give us your email address. We will keep you updated with a weekly newsletter on new content that's on the blog. We'll also send you at the end of each week the weekly download, which is a collection of a couple of dozen stories, articles, opinion pieces, studies, research, uh, videos, other material that's available on the web. Uh, relating to workers, worker power, and unions. We collect it for you so you don't have to, and we can send it directly to your inbox if you will subscribe. Connect with us on social media. We have LinkedIn, uh, a LinkedIn Power at Work page, a Facebook Power at Work page. We're available at, at Power at Work blog on X, which is Twitter, on Threads, on Instagram, and we're also on TikTok at Power at Work. Uh, so we're eager to connect with you. You can use direct messages from those social media platforms to communicate with us. We'd love to hear from you, uh, but please subscribe. That's the best way to stay connected to us. Uh, thank you very much for watching this blogcast. We look forward to seeing you back here on the blog again very soon.